0: If you've been in church for a while, you know, well, I think the answer is probably God. And that would be true if you're a believer in Christ. But what we're going to see today is Abraham is your father. And that comes with benefits. So what Paul has been seeking to do for the last couple chapters is to talk about how we are justified. We're counted right in God's sight by, by faith alone. Um, he's been laboring to convince his readers that that being counted right right with God is by faith apart from works. He has shown that the Old Testament scriptures clearly state that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. And he showed how he was counted righteous by faith before he was circumcised. And you say, wow, that's awesome. And it is because it it means that um, Gentiles can be saved as well as Jews in Christ. Still, some may doubt, surely the law must still play some part in being counted right with God. Today we'll see God's promise to Abraham came by faith, not law. And still some may wonder why faith is the way that we are justified before God. Why is faith so important? Why why is that God's way? And we'll see from the character of Abraham's faith why faith in God's promise is the only way to be counted right in God's sight. So if you would stand, we'll read from Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 25. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, Faith is null and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of him, of the God in whom he believed. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, and raised for our justification. Amen. You may be seated. So starting with verse 13, God's promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would inherit the world came not because they had the law or kept the law. Instead, it came because they were counted right with God through faith, Besides the fact that the law of Moses came after Abraham's time, in addition, the reason that it couldn't be counted right by the law is that no one could keep the law perfectly anyway. So the heirs of the promise needed to be right in right relationship to God by faith in God's promise, like Abraham. Paul says that Abraham and his offspring would inherit the world. They would inherit the world. That's because God promised that Abraham was going to be a blessing, his he and his seed, his offspring are going to be a blessing to all the nations and would be blessed and that the, the, he would be the father of many nations. These promises are fulfilled in some from every nation becoming children of Abraham through faith in Christ. If you are in Christ, you will inherit the world. Really? You got that going for you. So you can, when you talk to your coworkers or your fellow students this, this week, You can say, well, what did you do over the weekend? Well, I I learned about about my inheritance. Really, what are you going to inherit? The world. And they might um, be curious about that. You say, well, I'm not a power monger. I don't want to inherit the world. Well, you qualify then because Jesus said, for the meek shall inherit the earth. So if you're meek and humble, you get the world. I, I don't know if you, you're already going to try to claim your turf, but um but yeah, we'll be sharing the world. It's amazing promise in verse fourteen, Paul said, For if it is the inherent adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. In the first part of chapter four, Paul proved that Abraham believed God's promise and it was counted to him for righteousness. He showed that this way Abraham became the spiritual father of all who believe, whether Jew or Gentile. If the law was the way for Abraham's offspring to inherit the world, faith is nullified, the promise is canceled, it's no good. You can't have law and promise. It's faith with promise or nothing. So it can't be based on having the law, it can't be based on keeping the law. In fact, in verse 15, Paul says, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Back in chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul said that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law can't give you a right standing before God. What it can do is make you more aware of sin and thus more accountable for violating its specific commands. As a result, it increases God's wrath toward you if you are not under his righteousness through Christ. But if receiving God's promise is not based on law, on not dependent on law, there is no promise voiding transgression. That's what that means. Where there is no law, where the law is not the condition, you can't break it. You can't violate the promise. And that's what leads him to say what he says in verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. That's why the inheritance... Receiving the inheritance is is by faith, so that the promise may be in accord with grace. What is given by grace on God's side can only be received by faith on man's side. And since God's promise is 100% reliable, it is guaranteed, it is secure to all who have faith in Christ. To all of Abraham's offspring, since they are the offspring of faith. He says it's not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. The promise is guaranteed by grace, not only to the believing Jews, but to those Gentiles who share the faith of Abraham. Literally, those of Abraham's faith. Abraham is the father of all who are of his faith, and, and so to be a descendant, an offspring of Abraham, you need to be of his faith. Of his faith. And we'll see more what that means, but But the way it works out is Abraham is the father of all who are of his faith. So Abraham is the father of every Jew, every white American, every African American, every Native American, every Arab, every East Asian, every South Asian, every European, every African, every Polynesian, if they are of his faith. So Abraham's got an exploding family. His photo album must be incredible. And that in verse 17, um, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. So that Abraham would be the father of all who trust in God's saving promise as he did was a specific part of God's promise to him from Genesis 17:5. I have made you the, f- the father of many nations. At that point, all he had was Ishmael, which was a problem, because that wasn't the son of promise. And um, it's, not, it's been an affliction of Israel ever since. But God said, I have made you the father of many nations. I have made you. So before, when he just had Ishmael, who wasn't even the son of promise, he said, I have already made you the father of many nations. That's how God's promises work. He, he, he states it, and he brings it about. in the presence of the God in whom he believed. The promise was already true in God's presence. So before God, in his very presence, the promise was very real, already accomplished, as good as done. But what is it about God that makes him so able to do what he says he will? What makes him so trustable? say trustworthy. I like trustable. What makes him so worthy of our trust? Well, for one thing, God is a God who gives life to the dead. And uh, not just anybody can do that. Only God can give life to the dead. So wherever death or deadness stands in the way of God fulfilling his promise, God is able to overcome death and deadness with life. And the second thing that makes God so trustable, able to do what he has promised, is that he calls, literally, he summons into existence He summons into being things that do not exist. Non-existence is not an obstacle for God. He can create it. Actually, a better translation could be God calls things that are not, are not, as though they are. Both translations are true. When God calls something that is not yet as though it is, like making Abraham the father of many nations, it's as good as done. And now, in in this age, we see that God has called and is still calling into existence peoples and nations who are children of Abraham. And God's power to call into being what does not exist is the reason God is able to justify the ungodly. He's able to take unrighteous people and count them righteous because of His powerful working in Christ. He's able to give life to us who are spiritually dead. He continues talking about Abraham's faith in verse 18. In hope he believed against hope, against hope on the basis of hope, against all human hope on the basis of hope in God, Abraham believed. Abraham hoped in God's promise, which fueled his faith. Like it says in Hebrews 11.1, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. So Abraham's faith was not a matter of him just visualizing a better future and summoning up his faith to make it happen. He didn't quote Mark Twain saying, faith is believing in things that you know ain't so. Abraham believed God with the result that he became the father of many nations. So his, through his faith, God fulfilled the promise. Abraham believed the promise God spoke to him in in Genesis 15.5. He said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. God first promised this when Abraham was past 75, probably into his 80s at this point, and he and his wife had been many years childless. Amazingly, even after 25 years of waiting on God to fulfill his promise, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own good as dead body, though he was now about 100 years old. He didn't just say, Well, 100 is a new 30. And denied the reality of their inability to produce offspring. He considered his nearly dead body and the deadness of Sarah's 90-year-old womb. He stared reality in the face. He stared reality in the face. And in spite of his utter inability to overcome his and his wife's deadness, he did not weaken in faith, but because he believed in him who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Do you have any hard or hopeless circumstances today that you're having a hard time trusting God for? Like family division, family member who needs Christ, who keeps resisting, health crises. The point isn't that God is going to fix every one of your problems in this life, but he will give you what you need to persevere in faith. He will help you to stand firm and trust in him. He will give you unexplainable peace and joy, and he will glorify himself through, through you. He's good for that. In verse 20, Paul said, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. How can Paul say that about Abraham? This is the Abraham who went along with Sarah's plan for them to have a child through her maid Hagar through the process of in-made fertilization. Yeah. Since God didn't seem to be answering his promise in their time frame. In spite of In spite of this, and and again, at that point, that produced Ishmael, who was not the promised son, and his offspring have been a pain to Israel ever since. And he had other faith lapses. But Paul is saying that wavering and unbelief did not characterize Abraham's life. In spite of some faith failures, Abraham didn't become, he did not become more unstable and uncertain in his faith. Instead, he grew strong in faith. Abraham's faith took deeper and deeper roots. Rather than being double-minded, he grew more and more into a single-minded trust in God and his promise. That Abraham's faith did um, waver, but the testimony of Scripture is that he didn't waver, is encouraging to me because my faith wavers lots. And so for God to say, but the trajectory of your faith is it's growing stronger. And as his faith grew strong, he gave glory to God. And it is also true that by giving glory to God, his faith grew. So his faith grew stronger. As his faith grew strong, he gave glory to God. And by giving glory to God, his his faith grew stronger. Giving glory to God doesn't mean adding glory to God. It doesn't mean giving him something that's not already his. Giving glory to God means showing that God is glorious. It means calling attention to his glory and showing it to be what it really is. His glory is the greatness of his beauty. His glory is, his glory is the shining of his excellencies and the radiance of his perfections. How did Abraham give glory to God by his faith? Verse 21, by being fully convinced. God was able to do what he promised. He trusted in God's faithfulness and ability to fulfill his promise. Faith glorifies God by acknowledging that life must be lived in complete dependence on him, that he is worth trusting and treasuring, even when the circumstances are saying, This is crazy. This isn't going to work. This is a disaster. We're all going to die. Or worse, Faith glorifies God by acknowledging that life must be lived in complete dependence on him, that he is worth trusting and treasuring even in the midst of hopeless circumstances. The way to glorify God is not fundamentally to work for him, but to trust him in his promises. And as he says in verse 22, that is why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Because Abraham's faith didn't weaken and waver in unbelief, because he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that God would do what he promised, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Faith that God counts to us as righteousness is not some vague notion of belief in God. Faith is not a one-time or occasional check-in with God. Hey, are we doing okay? Okay, I'll check you later. Hey, where's that prayer order I placed a few weeks ago? It's not faith. Genuine faith clings to God's promise despite the bewildering, grieving, vexing, and impossible circumstances in our lives. True faith is strengthened by anchoring on God as he has revealed himself in his word. True faith remains desperately, but hopefully dependent on God. Abraham had this kind of faith, and God counted it counted it to him as righteousness he was justified when he believed God's promise at first that he would have a son and that his offspring would be numerous as the stars and Abraham's faith proved to be genuine as it grew stronger giving glory to God fully assured that God would do it Paul is not saying that Abraham had superhuman faith that's not the it's not the takeaway he didn't go to a success seminar and learn how to get anything he wanted by believing in himself and naming and claiming what he wanted in life. He trusted in a supremely super-sovereign, saving God. And when I say sovereign, by that I mean God sets the agenda in his wisdom for his glory and our good. So faith is not a way to twist God's arm and get him, manip- manipulate him to do what you want him to do. Little faith in a great God is better than great faith in ourselves or things of this world or a false God. Then in verses 23 to 25, we read a very direct application to us. The words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also that God counted Abraham's faith in his righteousness was written 2,000 years prior to Paul's letter, so 2,000 years since the promise was first given to Abraham and he was counted righteous, then Paul is saying it wasn't just for his time, it's for your time as well. It was not written just for him. In fact, Paul's entire purpose in, in, in this letter, in chapter 4 in particular, has been to show how Abraham's faith applies to God's people of the present time. But now Paul wants to make the current application very explicit to us as to how Abraham's being counted righteous by faith was fulfilled in Christ. It was written for our sake also, who, like Abraham, believed in the God who gives life to the dead. Abraham believed God was able to give life to dead wombs and fertility so that he and Sarah could give birth to the Son of God's promise. And when that son was a boy, God tested Abraham by asking him to offer up his son. Abraham obeyed. Trusting that, we read in Hebrews 11:19, Abraham believed that even though God said, give, give up your son Isaac, sacrifice him, Abraham believed that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. But now we have the fulfillment of God's life giving promise to Abraham, so that our faith is counted to us for righteousness when we believe in God who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So, belief in God's raising Jesus from the dead is not optional, it's fundamental to being counted righteous. It means you really believe that he really did do that, it's not just a myth. God never presents saving belief in him as just bare belief that he exists. It was always a matter of believing in the current phase of his redemptive work. And now that is the substitutionary death and bodily resurrection of Christ. That's how you believe like Abraham did in his day. You believe now in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 25, on a human level, who delivered him up? So, Jesus was delivered up for our our trespasses and raised for our justification. On a human level, Judas delivered up Jesus to the Jewish leaders, and they delivered him up to Pilate, and Pilate delivered him up to be crucified. But from God's side, it was he who delivered him up for our transgressions, to bear the punishment due to us for our sins. Amazing! God delivered up his own son, for our sins. Stunning that God would do that. Oh, how God hates the cosmic treason of sin. But oh, how good he is to redeem us with the cost of the life of his son. What Paul will say later is, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you doubt God's goodness? That he may be withholding some good things that you need to live out your faith in Christ. He's promised Because he gave up his own son for us, he will graciously, freely give us everything we need. Everything we need. Everything we need for life and godliness. Christ was raised for our justification. This means that he was raised to authenticate and confirm that what was needed for our justification, our being counted right in God's sight, was absolutely secured. Christ's resurrection is evidence that his redeeming work on our behalf had been completed. Christ died for us and was raised for us. The sin divide between us and God has been bridged. Eternal death has been defeated in his resurrection because we can never be condemned. As Paul will say later in Romans chapter 8, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's pretty good news. The resurrected Christ who defeated sin and death for you is praying for you right now. Got a lot going for you. His justifying work is assured by the absolute certainty that his death has atoned for your sins And that the power of His resurrection guarantees your justification. Where might the fallout be? Your faith? Have you ever felt the temptation to just leave your faith? Has Has your faith ever been wrecked? If it's still held together, it's because Jesus in His power is praying for you. If it's left to you, you're right. Sin, sorrow, temptation, suffering could destroy your faith, but Christ is interceding for you so that you can stare reality in the face, trust in Christ and in His righteousness for you, and know that He gives you everything you need for life and godliness. Let's pray. Father, this news, if we know our state without Christ, this is really stunningly good news. This is the gospel, the good news that Christ in his death secured our redemption and his resurrection confirmed that we can be justified, counted right in your sight, we who are still ungodly in ourselves. And with that, he He's guaranteed that we will inherit all things that you have for your people, the new heavens and the new earth, where we will not be suffering and sorrow and sin and sickness anymore. But Father, this week, we're going to face temptations to not put our trust in you, to value other things more than you, to go against what we know your word says is true, just to be lazy in our faith to choose other things other than your glory to not value you ultimately. We need the faith-sustaining grace of Jesus Christ this week. Strengthen us, Father, in our faith. Cause our faith, like Abraham's, to grow stronger, deeper, more stable, less wavering. We're thankful, Father, that your word says even Abraham, whose faith did waver, that in another sense it didn't waver because he kept his trust in you even when he lapsed from time to time. That's good news for us. That's good news for us. Thank you for freely justifying us in Christ. Thank you for for grafting us into Abraham's family. In his name, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.